trust the movement, I negate the chaos, uplift the negative, I'll show up at the table again and again. Welcome to Grassroot Ohio, conversations with everyday people working on important issues here in Columbus and all around Ohio. I'm Carolyn Harding, and today I'm turning the show over to Morgan Harper of Columbus Stand Up and Our Revolution Ohio. She's interviewing Zach Mallets, co-writer of The Count, a practical guide to defending the Constitution in a contested 2020 election. When I listened to this on Wednesday after the 2020 election, I knew Grassroot Ohio listeners will appreciate this timely information. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today. I'm Morgan Harper, based in Columbus, Ohio. We are co-sponsoring my new organization, Columbus Stand Up, this with Our Revolution Ohio to get us all up to speed on what exactly are the arcane procedures by which our nation uh, elects a president after election day. And we have a very special guest to walk through all of that with us today, uh, Zach Mallets. Very excited to have Zach here with us today. Um, and just to give you all a little bit of background about Zach. So he has led advocacy and candidate campaigns for climate justice, civil liberties, racial justice. He's a partner at an organization called The Social Practice and is a co-founder of the Real Justice Pack. And he also has been involved previously with both Beto O'Rourke and Bernie campaigns uh, and based in Texas. So Zach, thank you very much for coming to, well, virtually coming to Ohio and sharing your expertise with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, glad to, glad to be here. So Zach and a couple of others have created a guide called The Count, and that's what he's going to walk us through today. But just for background, I mean, we, we all have heard a lot about what Trump and Pence are threatening, which is that they will not commit to a peaceful transfer of power. And the main idea here is while we're all doing all we can to turn out the vote and make sure that we have a historic turnout to try to put an end to this a national crisis that is our current federal leadership, that we also need to be getting prepared for all the various scenarios that could play out on November 3rd and beyond. And so that's what Zach is going to walk us through today or this evening. And uh, Zach, I'll turn it over to you to, to walk us through. But just so you know, um, we have a link to the count guide that Zach put together that we'll share. And then also we want this to be interactive. So if you have any questions, please feel free to lob them into the chat or the Q&A throughout, and we'll do our best to monitor and, uh, and get some responses from Zach. So with that, Zach, I'll turn it over to you. All right, thanks so much, Morgan. Um, I am going to share my screen so we can go through a deck that we have. So, you know, Morgan introduced me. Um, my co-authors on the guide are Brandon Evans. Um, you know, Brandon is sort of one of the top uh, political operatives in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, he helped elect, um, you know, Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kinney and District Attorney Larry Krasner, who's formerly the, you know, Director of Working Families Party Pennsylvania. Um, and as a, the national political director of the Real Justice Pack, uh, you know Becky Bond is the third co-author. She's uh, she wrote a book called Rules for Revolutionaries about her experience on the Bernie 2016 campaign, um, and also works with uh, with me at the Real at the Social Practice and Brandon and I at the at the Real Justice Pack. So the the genesis of this guide is that we have been paying attention to the things that Trump has been saying um, about the election and. You know, he has said repeatedly that if he loses, he may not accept the results of the election. Um, you know, here he said, you know, get rid of the mail-in ballots and you'll have a very peaceful, there won't be a transfer, frankly, there'll be a, a continuation. And this is after he was asked about, you know, a peaceful transfer of power and whether he'll accept the results of the election. And he has repeatedly said that the only way that he'll lose 
is if Democrats commit mass voter fraud. Um, the premise of the guide is that we've chosen to take him at his word. Um, you know, many people have dismissed this as just talk. Um, you know, it would be completely unprecedented for a president to directly and openly, um, you know, refuse to accept the results of an election. Um, you know, but we've been really influenced by the work of Masha Gessen, who's a, a Russian American journalist. And right after the election, uh, they wrote a, a piece um, in a, the New York Review of Books called uh, Autocracy Rules for Survival. And the first rule is to believe the autocrat. And so the premise of the guide is that Trump has been telling us what he intends to do and that we should take those promises at face value and prepare for a protracted conflict after election day. Um, this could be a no holds bar fight to save our democracy. And so we have to prepare ourselves psychologically and politically uh, to fight to save our democracy and protect the constitution. So first we're gonna start with uh, understanding how we actually elect presidents in the United States. Uh, I didn't know almost anything about this a few months ago, and it's been a real crash course to learn about the, you know, as Morgan said, arcane process by which we actually choose the president. So under our constitution, citizens don't vote directly for a presidential ticket, um, even if that's the box they check on their ballot. They vote for what are called electors. And these are actual people um, chosen by uh, the chair of the state party and pledged to vote for a particular presidential candidate. So the electors are collectively referred to as the electoral college, and they're the ones who actually vote to elect the president. Uh, Congress then counts electoral college votes and determines who won the presidency. And we don't actually have a determined winner of the, of the, of the presidency until Congress counts the electoral college vote. So it's a three-step process. First, voters vote. Second, the electors that they choose vote for president. And then third, Congress counts the electoral college votes to determine who won the presidency. So I'm gonna go through the key dates um, as this process unfolds. So of course, we all know November 3rd is election day. Um, unlike in many presidential elections, we are not likely to know which candidate won on election night. I'll talk about this a little bit more um, you know, in a second, because this is pretty important for understanding the dynamics of a contested election. The first important date after election day is December 8th, and this is called the safe harbor deadline. Uh, federal law creates a strong incentive for states to complete and certify their ballot count by December 8th. Uh, some states have, um, you know, certification deadlines that are earlier, in some cases significantly earlier than December 8th. But this is the deadline set by federal law. And if a state doesn't complete its ballot count by December 8th, it risks not having its electoral college votes counted by Congress. Um, and it, it may be excluded from the final total, total that determines who the president is. Six days later on December 14th uh, the, is the deadline by which the governor of each state must report the election results to Congress. And so the governor certifies who won the state and then notifies Congress of which slate of electors are appointed, whether it's Biden's electors or Trump's electors. Um, they do this by sending what's called a certificate of ascertainment um, to Congress. Um, and then they appoint the slate of electors who then vote in the electoral college. Also on December 14th, the electoral college meets. So in each state, um, the winning candidates slate of pledged electors meet, usually in the state's state house, they cast their votes and they send a record of their votes to Congress. On January 3rd, um, the new Congress is sworn in. So it's not going to be the current Congress that counts electoral college votes, it's going to be the one sworn in on, December, on January 3rd. So if somebody is elected to the Senate or elected to the House on November 3rd, that person will be part of the group of, of uh, representatives or senators who votes to count the electoral college votes after they're cast. 
Finally, on January 6th, Congress uh, convenes in a joint session held in the House chamber to count electoral college votes and choose the next president. Of course, inauguration day is January 20th. Um, typically, the new president is sworn in as the president, the vice president is sworn in as the vice president. Um, if that doesn't happen, if we don't have a president at this point, um, the newly elected vice president is sworn in as acting president. If we have neither a new president nor a new vice president, then that speaker of the house is sworn in as acting president until Congress determines who won the presidential election. So that's how the process normally works and the timeline. And it's important to understand that to understand exactly what the threat um, you know, that, that Trump poses to the electoral system. And you know, when people hear about Trump refusing to accept the results of the election or you know, there not being a peaceful transfer of power, a lot of people imagine on January 20th, you know, when Biden is supposed to be inaugurated, Trump just refuses to leave the White House. And he asserts, sure, I lost the election, but I'm still the president. And Secret Service maybe has to drag him out or something like that. But that's not what's going to happen. Um, if Trump overturns the results of the election, um, it will have the appearance of a legal process. Um, and they, the, Trump and his allies will try and give it um, some veneer of democratic legitimacy. So here's the Republican playbook. There's three important parts. The first is to make it harder for Democrats to vote. Um, they do this with all sorts of voter suppression tactics, right? Voter ID laws, creating barriers to registration, closing polling locations, you know, intimidation at the polls, right? We saw Trump during the first presidential debate call on his supporters to go to the polls, watch the ballots, um, you know, which is code for intimidating voters. You know, the Trump campaign is organizing, they say, 50,000 poll watchers. Um, you know, who we expect will practice widespread voter intimidation. So the first part of their playbook is to reduce the number of Democrats who vote in the first place. Here in uh, Ohio, also not installing more drop boxes, which has been a big point of controversy. Same here in Texas. Our, our wonderful Governor Greg Abbott made an attempt to, uh, to restrict it to one drop box per county, no matter how many people live there. Um, uh, the second part is it happens after the election. And this is actually even more important, is to prevent Democratic votes in swing states especially mail-in ballots from being fully and accurately counted. So we can expect that after November 3rd, the Trump campaign will have a multi-pronged strategy to prevent and delay ballots from being counted. That'll include legal and administrative challenges to specific ballots. It could mean asking for recounts to try and slow things down um, and delay the count past the December 8th safe harbor deadline. It may even be physical disruptions of the vote count, right? We could imagine you know, members of right-wing militias trying to storm boards of elections to physically halt the counting of ballots. Could also be Trump ordering, you know, federal agents from the Department of Justice to go seize ballots or slow things down by investigating election administrators. Third is that Trump will then use the chaos that he's created uh, to convince Republican legislators to overturn the results of the election by appointing fraudulent and competing slates of Trump electors um, in order to throw the, the election to Congress. And we'll talk a lot more in a second about what that looks like. The Democrats, to counter this, must also do three things. The first is they have to fight to make sure that every ballot is accurately counted by December 8th. Um, unless and until a fair and complete count shows that Biden lost the election, he must not concede to Trump. We cannot allow the results of a partial vote count to determine the outcome of the election. Biden has to be ready to take the fight all the way to Congress. Second, if Republican legislators try to stop Biden from winning a state's electoral college votes um, by appointing a fraudulent uh, slate of Trump electors, Democratic governors have to appoint a competing slate of Biden electors. Um, and they have to do that even if Republicans su succeed in preventing all ballots from being counted um, before December 14th when the Electoral College means. So we can imagine a scenario where, you know, Trump successfully files enough legal and administrative challenges 
in a state to prevent the ballots from all being counted by December 14th when the Electoral College meets. His allies in the state legislature could then argue the election has failed. We have to make Trump the, you know, the winner of our electoral college votes, even though the ballots haven't been counted. Um, if that happens, the Democratic governor, you know, in let's say Pennsylvania, has to then step in and appoint, um, you know, legislators directly. And third, Democrats in Congress must use every procedural and legal means available uh, to ensure that Biden wins the electoral college count. Um, so if if Republicans appoint fraudulent Trump electors, Democrats need to do everything that they can to prevent those electors votes from being counted on January 6th. And they should, uh, that's up to and including preventing the count from happening at all so that Nancy Pelosi becomes president on January 20th, um, which we can use as leverage to get Trump to concede and accept the results of the election. So before we go any further, and I'm gonna unpack everything that I just said, because I know if, if this is new to you, that was probably a lot. So don't worry, I'm gonna go through that step-by-step. Step. But an important concept to understand that's gonna shape the dynamics of this race is called the red mirage. So unlike in most presidential elections recently, you know, we are not likely to know the winner of the 2020 race on election night. If it's a complete Biden blowout um, and you know, Biden, let's say wins Ohio, um, which counts votes quickly, we'll, we'll be pretty sure then on, the, on election night that he's the winner. But if this is close and the race comes down to states that don't start counting mail-in ballots until election day, right? So say Michigan or Pennsylvania or Wisconsin, then we're in for potentially days or weeks of counting votes. And that's because, and, and, and what this will look like is that on, in a close election on election night, Trump will lead in the ballot count, even if he's eventually going to lose. And that's because Democrats are disproportionately likely to vote by mail, and the mail-in ballots are going to take longer to count. So we could see a scenario where the ballot count on election night has Trump in the lead. And then as the days and weeks following the election you know, pass and, and, and we count the mail-in ballots, it becomes clear that Biden won by a comfortable margin. Now, this is going to be crucial to shaping Trump's narrative because on election night, he's going to declare victory. Um, he'll say that any votes that are counted after election day are fraudulent and are the result of Democrats trying to steal the election. And he'll call on state election administrators to stop counting. Um, so this is important because, you know, this is the first step in laying a uh, you know, narrative foundation for stealing the election. So between November 3rd and when the electoral college meets on December 14th, um, this is the stage where the ballots are counted, right? And so during the ballot count, Trump will have two important goals. The first is to create delays and prevent as many Democratic voters' ballots from being counted before the December 8th safe harbor deadline. And the second is to create a perception of chaos to delegitimize the election results. And if he succeeds in the first one, um, and prevents enough Democratic ballots from being counted, he may be able to maintain a lead that he holds on election night by illegitimately preventing ballots from being counted. What matters most though is not actually the ballot count. Um, it's public perception of the integrity of the election. Trump's goal is to create enough chaos and enough uncertainty and doubt that the public wonders whether um, you know, the results of the election are legitimate and it creates a pretext for state legislatures to step in and directly appoint electors, even though the ballot count is incomplete. Um, and we don't actually you know, know um, whether Trump won. Um, so winning the ballot count you know, by preventing Democrats' votes from being counted, that's a political tactic, not a legal strategy, right? It's actually Congress that makes the final decision about which electoral college votes to count and which ones to discard. So just because you know, Trump halts the ballot count and has the lead, um, you know, when the electoral college meets, that doesn't actually make him the president. 
Um, it's the governor of the state. Um, and if the legislature steps in illegitimately to appoint Trump electors, then they may send a second slate of electors that decides who, who actually votes in the electoral college. And then ultimately Congress counts the votes. So even if Trump supporters illegitimately and illegally appoint Trump electors, um, ultimately Congress is the one that decides which electors were legally or illegally appointed. So the two triggers for if we're in a constitutional crisis are these. First, if Trump and his allies attempt to prevent every ballot from being counted. And second, if in a state that Biden wins, Trump's electors, um, likely illegally appointed by the state legislature, meet, vote for Trump, and send a record of their votes to Congress. So the first of these is, if we see the Trump campaign file bad faith lawsuits, legal challenges, administrative challenges to ballots, and they transparently have the goal of ensuring that everyone's not everyone's ballots are counted, that not every voice is heard in the election in order to prevent Biden from legitimately winning the election. That's the first trigger, right? This is an attempt to overturn the results of the election with lawfare and by uh, you know, preventing a valid and democratic count of the ballots. If that happens, then this stops being an uh, election between two candidates and it becomes an attempted coup. Second is that you know, if typically what happens is a state completes its ballot count, the governor certifies the election results, um, and then um, and then elects a, uh, appoints electors, and those electors vote and send their votes to Congress. Right? If, however, the legislature steps in and appoints electors, and this has happened occasionally in American history, but rarely, if the legislature asserts that it actually has the authority to appoint electors directly, in spite of the ballot count being incomplete or Biden being in the lead in the ballot count, again, we're in a constitutional crisis where Republicans in a swing state are trying to overturn the results of an election. Zach, we have one question yep. just to clarify when you say Congress uh, decides which electors, are you referring to the House, Senate or some combination? It is a joint session of Congress. So both the House and the Senate um, meet together. And if there's a dispute over which electors to count, they each chamber meets separately and each one votes. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about the different scenarios um, in a second about how, how that works and the mechanics of those votes. But um, it is both chambers of Congress. Great. So if Trump successfully prevents all of, the, of Biden's voters' ballots from being counted before the Electoral College meets, um, or if Republican legislators appoint fraudulent electors, um, you know, and this is most likely to happen in Pennsylvania, Michigan, or Wisconsin, where, you know, first the, um, you know, they're likely to be pivotal in a close election, and second, there's a Democratic governor and a Republican state legislature, right? So these are the places where, if the Democratic governor is following the rules, the Republican legislature may try and overturn the results, right? So if Trump takes the lead by preventing all the ballots from being counted. Um, or Republican legislators trying to overturn the results of the election, um, then the Democratic governor in those states, whichever one is being contested, must appoint Biden's electors to the Electoral College. And they have to do that even if the ballot count isn't complete, right? If Trump, if on December 14th, as a result of Trump preventing and delaying ballots from being counted, if he holds a partial lead in one of these states, the Democratic governor has to appoint Democratic electors anyways because the reason that the ballot count isn't incomplete is because of a malicious attempt to overturn the results of the election. And so the Democratic governor is then in the position of having to fend off a coup, right? They're the first line of defense against Trump's efforts to steal the election. And the most important tactic then is to appoint Biden's electors, which gives Congress the opportunity and the option to make Biden the president and determine that he actually won that state once all the ballots are counted. And this is something else that's important is, so December 8th, the safe harbor deadline is an artificial deadline, 
right? Federal law incentivizes states to, to stop counting before then and to certify their results. Um, but it, it's actually not a legal requirement that they do complete it. The, a state could keep counting the ballots until January 6th when Congress votes. And so if Trump and his allies are successful in delaying the vote count in a state past December 14th when the Electoral College meets, um, an important demand is to ensure that that state continues to count ballots even after the Electoral College meets, right? So if Trump and his allies meddle with the ballot count or appoint fraudulent electors, the game plan for Democrats in that state is to appoint Biden electors, send them to Congress, and then continue to count ballots to attempt to determine you know, that Biden actually won, won the race there once all the ballots are counted. So some important action steps uh, between no November 3rd and December 14th. So the first is that Biden must not concede. No matter what, unless and until every single ballot has been counted and it becomes clear that Trump is the legitimate winner of the election, Biden must not concede. Uh, if Biden concedes, then we all lose and he effectively silences millions of voters um, who voted legitimately to make him the president, but who as a result of his concession, you know, is handing Trump a fraudulent victory. The second is that all of us, people supporting Joe Biden on election day need to declare victory and argue that Biden has a pathway to victory. All of the polls that have been conducted, um, you know, close analyses of the early vote returns so far um, and likely additional analyses immediately after the election you know, will show that Biden is clearly in the, lead, in the lead and has a clear pathway to victory once all the ballots have been counted. Trump will declare victory and he'll argue that the remaining ballots are fraudulent. We can't cede the narrative ground to him. We have to step in and, and tell the truth, which is that once all the ballots are counted, if we follow the legitimate democratic process, that Biden will be the president. The third is that we have to demand a complete ballot count. And this is of course obvious, this is what you do in a democracy, but it's important to remember the key to Trump's post-election strategy will be ensuring that not all of the ballots are counted. And we have to stand on the side of democratic legitimacy and say, we want all of the ballots counted because all counting all the ballots is what determines who won the election. And we have to count them. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Even if we go past the safe harbor deadline on December 8th, even if we go past the December 14th deadline when the electoral college meets, we have to count all the ballots no matter what, um, because we cannot allow uh, you know, Trump to be elected president, uh, even though he legitimately lost the election. Fourth, as I've already said, if, if you know, uh, the Republicans meddle in the results of the election, if they prevent all the ballots from being counted or if they appoint fraudulent electors, uh, the governors in the states that are contested need to appoint Biden electors and send them to Congress. And finally, as I'm sure I know many of the people on this webinar are doing, we need to protest en masse immediately after the election. Uh, it's going to take millions of people in the streets to ensure that we have a legitimate election. Um, Trump has already threatened the integrity of the election, the integrity of our democracy, and we have to be vigilant immediately after the election um, to ensure that the process unfolds as it's intended to. After the Electoral College meets on December 14th, the fight moves to Congress. And so the important date again is January 6th, which is when both chambers of Congress convene to count the Electoral College votes. And so the scenario that we're imagining here is that a pivotal swing state or multiple pivotal swing states, and for the sake of argument, let's just assume it's one state and that state is Pennsylvania, right? Let's say the election comes down to the results in Pennsylvania, whoever wins Pennsylvania becomes the president. The scenario we're talking about here is that Biden wins Pennsylvania legitimately, but as a result of chaos created after the election, uh, 
Trump's allies in, in the legislature appoint illegitimate Trump electors, while the governor in Pennsylvania appoints legitimate Biden electors. And so Pennsylvania sends two competing slates of electors to Congress, and Congress has to vote to sort out which of those slates to count. And the determination of which slate to count will determine who the president is. So that sounds like it should be easy because there are laws that determine who wins and loses in a state, which electors are legitimate and illegitimate. The problem is that Congress is the authority that's responsible for enforcing the law and for determining which slate of electors is and is not legitimately appointed. And the Constitution doesn't anticipate this kind of crisis. The Constitution doesn't say anything about how Congress determines who the winner is or how it counts electoral college votes or what to do if there are two competing slates of electors and a dispute over who legitimately won a state. There is a 19th century law called the Electoral Count Act um, that was intended to create a process for this type of dispute to be resolved, but that law is famously convoluted. And even more important, it's been virtually untested. We've never used it to resolve a contested election before. And so it's unclear whether it's even constitutional. It's unclear how it will be interpreted. A mainstream interpretation is that if the two houses vote to determine which slate of electors is, illegitimate, is legitimate and they disagree, then by default, the governor's slate of electors are appointed. Uh, but that's, though it's a mainstream view, there's not a consensus on that. And again, until it's legally tested, uh, we don't actually know what the result will be. So the upshot of that is that the fight in Congress is going to be a political contest, not a legal contest. Um, the Constitution clearly gives Congress the authority and responsibility of determining who won the election. Um, it's very unlikely that the Supreme Court will step in to determine who the president is. It's likely going to be a political settlement in Congress that determines the outcome of the election if there's a, a dispute over electors. And Zach, I know you're probably getting to this later, mm -hmm. but just want to make sure so you can decide whether to address now or if it, it's later in the presentation. But that statement you just made, unlikely the courts will step in to resolve this. We have a question related to Bush v. Gore. Wouldn't that precedent hold? So why, yeah, why is that the case and why wouldn't mm -hmm. um, the court be deciding? That's a great question. So there is what Bush v. Gore decided was whether to continue a recount in Florida. So the courts will likely intervene in disputes over which ballots to count and which ones not to count. But once the fight moves to Congress and Congress is determining which competing slate of electors to count, it is unlikely that, that the courts will intervene. The most recent, and that's, this is not the type of scenario that happened in 2000. In 2000, before the fight moved to Congress, Al Gore conceded, right? His electors didn't meet and send a competing slate to Congress. Instead, he said, you know, for the sake of the country, I'm going to concede. The most recent historical, um, you know, parallel here is the contested election of 1876, um, where four states did send competing slates of electors to Congress, and Congress was forced to, to forge a political um, resolution. In that case, the Supreme Court did not intervene to determine um, who won the presidential election. And the political compromise um, to determine who won that, that election wasn't um, brokered until two days before the inauguration. So the most recent precedent suggests that, you know, because the separation of powers in the Constitution gives Congress ultimate authority to decide who the president is. And the, so the Supreme Court may step in to determine, for example, how to interpret the Electoral Count Act, but actually determining which slate of electors to count or who the president is. Um, while we, you know, we have no idea, right? It's the Supreme Court could do anything, but 
the general view is that it's not likely that the Supreme Court will intervene um, in that scenario, that this will be a, a fight that plays out in Congress and that Congress will determine who the president is. So an upshot of this is that if Democrats act like legal scholars while Republicans fight a guerrilla war to make Trump the president at any cost, uh, Democrats will lose will risk losing a presidency despite winning the majority of electoral votes at the polls. This is because this is happening essentially in a legal vacuum um, because the laws that govern it are untested and crucially because the interpretation of those laws will likely come down to political pressure from outside of Congress. It's going to be whoever rallies the American public to their cause, whoever builds massive public support for making Biden the president or making Trump the president, that's most likely to carry the day. If things go to Congress the way that we win um, is by making it clear that a vast supermajority of Americans want every ballot counted, want legitimate electors counted, and, and won't tolerate a coup. You can watch the entire interview with Zach Mallets at OurRevolutionOhio.com. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN, Grassroot Ohio will now air on Sundays at 2 p.m. at 92.7 and 98.3 FM, Columbus, WCRS.org. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back.